Hello and welcome to God in Film, the podcast where a Christian and an atheist dive into the best that cinema has to offer and see if we can find any parallels with the gospel or any other Bible stories. I'm writer and rakishly handsome dad, Giles Goff, and sadly, Phil can't be with us today. He's currently planning a heist to steal the Declaration of Independence and just can't figure out how to get past the motion sensors. So instead, we have guest co-host, training coordinator and immortal warrior, Polly Emily Taylor. Polly, it's so good to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Happy to be here. And today we're going to be looking at The Eternals, Marvel's 2021 film directed by Chloe Zhao about a race of immortal beings who lived on Earth and shaped its history and civilizations. We'll be looking at what the Bible actually says about homosexuality and what do you do when everything you believe in turns out not to only be wrong, but a lie. Polly, what did you think of this film? Is it controversial for me to say I really liked it? Uh... Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, like that is that is absolutely okay if you if you liked it. Do you know what? I wasn't a, I wasn't a massive fan first time I saw it. For as a personal faith, it was a very uncomfortable watch because it's literally the first Marvel film that says, "Oh, by the way, Jesus isn't real, God isn't real, and it's just these weird ass looking robot things that created the universe." Okay, have fun for your two hours. Like, mm. Okay, right. So was it only two hours? No, it was probably felt it probably much more than that, you know. <laughs> but having said that, I rewatched it for this episode, and you know what? I did really enjoy it. I think I would have liked it a lot more if if it hadn't actually been a Marvel film. It was very strange to have a Marvel film that spends more time referencing Superman and Batman mm. than everything else. And if it was just about the Immortals, then it would be it would be. I would have really gotten into it. I thought it was fantastic in in terms of its representation, though, and I'm I'm not just in the use of it as like deaf and gay characters, but also like, did you notice the range of body types that were on display there? I did. The contouring, I thought, was very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Speaking as a as a somewhat heavier dude, it was really something to watch, like Gilgamesh and Fastos, just oh, kicking ass without having the rippling abs. Plus, I also love Richard Madden's hair. <laughs> You know, just that little grey streak, you know? It's like, yeah. oh, that's, that's, that's good, you know? Now it's time for the man who did the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. The only cadet ever to beat the Kobayashi Maru. And when faced with a selection of holy grails, he chose wisely. It's <gasps> Max Facts! Yeah! Hi guys, it's Matt here again to bring you some Matt's Facts, this time about the Eternals. The Eternals were created by someone we've heard a bit about in some of my previous facts, and that is Jack Kirby, Yo. a long-time collaborator of many Marvel comics, including working quite a bit with Stan Lee. Jack Kirby briefly left Marvel in the early 70s, okay. and during this, he started work on The New Gods for DC Comics. Right. He eventually came back... New Gods had not been badly received, but it was cut short. So he mm -hmm. wasn't able to finish what he'd wanted. And he went into this looking at what he could do. He, he truly enjoyed the high science concept. Mm. So when he came back to Marvel, he created the Eternals. Now, when he created them, it was something that went back thousands of years. And that was that the Celestials, great giant beings from before the beginning of time, mm -hmm. came to Earth and created three different races. One of which was man, one of which was the Eternals, 
and one of which was the, the Welsh. Deviants. The Welsh. Yeah, yeah the, Welsh. the Welsh. Yeah, a race of people who looked so similar to humans, but weirdly sexy and alluring on a level no one quite understood. That, yeah. that is very true. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So humans, Eternals, and Deviants. Very much so. Now, at the time, the Deviants were monstrous beings, and they still are, as you, many people have seen in the film. Whereas at the time, the Eternals were very much chiselled, white, blonde. They were the epitome of what was thought a hero should be. A notable one was a member called Cersei, who could manipulate matter. She actually became an Avenger for a short while. She's the, the big sort of crossover one, isn't she? She is indeed. And then the Eternals, they just dwindled off into nothingness almost. Exactly what had happened with New Gods had happened again with the Eternals. Mm. And it wasn't until 30 years later, in 2006, where Neil Gaiman, the man, the legend, brought them back with a bang. Mm -hmm. 2006 was a big year in Marvel Comics. It featured one of the biggest and most dividing events that had ever happened in the Marvel Universe. And that was Civil War. I miss the days when the div most divisive question you'll ever be asked is whether you're Team Capped or, or Team Iron Man. Oh, definitely. Now, Gaiman had a big job on his hands here. Mm -hmm. He was bringing in the Eternals, characters so rich in Marvel history, but that had hardly been used. And he was having to bring them back at a time where the focus was on the ground-level heroes. So when we talk about ground-level heroes, we're thinking people like Spider-Man, Daredevil... For the main part, yes. But it also included the likes of the Avengers, the Fantastic Four. It was a big, earth-changing event. Okay. And for that, to run alongside something which is cosmic, in fact, bigger than cosmic, divine, mm. it was a big challenge. And Neil Gaiman had an ingenious way of how to sort this. And how to bring about that these characters, who'd been around for thousands of years, had seemingly faded out the memory of everyone in the Marvel Universe. And so, while Civil War's raging on, we first mm -hmm. come across a gentleman called Mark Curry. Regular human, really likes fast cars, and dreams of ancient structures. And he eventually meets someone called Ike Harris, who insists, <laughs> I know, who decided to explain to Mark that these weren't dreams, these were memories. Mm. And it became revealed that Eternals had had their memories stripped, as well as the Earth's memories of them stripped, and had been blending in with humanity for a few decades. So it dealt a lot with how do these characters come about. They're learning themselves, they're trying to work out who they are, they're trying to bring in and find out who stripped their memories mm -hmm. and raise questions like, should we, should these superpowered beings be subject to the Superhuman Registration Act? There was a mm -hmm. lot to it. It reminds me of the line in Civil War, the film, where they say, gosh, I wish Thor and Hulk were here. And somebody says, who, would, who says they would be on our side? You know, it's that, it's a level of power that is absolutely ridiculous it is indeed and that is something that the eternals have always had mm -hmm. now for a few extra little tidbits so firstly thanos in the comic books is half eternal half deviant yeah we've met his brother star fox who is 
an eternal. It's Star Fox's Harry Styles in the film, isn't he? Yes. Just trying to ground it for people here. <laughs> He's playing an eternal. Other facts, Droog is actually one of the big bad Eternals. That's the one played by Barry Keegan in the uh, in the films. It is indeed. The deviants in the film, they look a lot more uniform than the deviants in the comics. The comics deviants are different shapes and forms. And the last fact I'm going to give you, just a lovely little tidbit for everyone, and you especially, Giles, because I know how much you love them. <laughs> okay. It's recently been revealed that the biggest deviant threat are mutants. Oh, come on. Yep. Recently, there's been a big, massive event uh, between the mm-hmm. Eternals, the Avengers, and the X-Men called Judgment Day, and it all stemmed from the fact that the mutants had deemed to be deviated too far and had thus surpassed immortality with their ability to come back from the dead. Do you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to get into this. this is, uh... We'll save that for an X-Men conversation. <laughs> Save that for an X-Men conversation. Matt, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me. I look forward to speaking to you all soon. So, Polly, those were Matt's facts. What do you think? I'm kind of blown away by the Neil Gaiman connection. Yeah. I did not know this. Oh, did you not? No, I did not know this. I feel really ignorant. (laughs) So, thank you, Matt. Yeah, like I say, when I'm going into a film, I like to sort of be the nerd that's kind of swatted up on it. So I read the Neil Gaiman run on it. In, see, in that, Sprite is the one that actually betrays them. Mm. So I spent the entire film going, go on, just stick the knife in, get on with it, you know? <laughs> so when it come, when it turns out to be Icarus, spoiler alert, um, it's, uh, but come on, it was, it absolutely shocked me, you know? If, if nothing else, the one thing I liked about this film is that it gave us the meme some guys would actually rather fly into the sun than go to therapy. Uh, it's a good meme. It's a good <laughs> meme. I watched it solely on the basis that Angelina Jolie was in it. That was that was why I decided to watch that film. See, I would have thought you would find that a bit disappointing because it's it's a it bit was, it's a bit Jolie light, really, isn't it? You it know, it was disappointing. You know, she turns up and uh, and she can uh, articulate her enunciation is on point, but. <laughs> She, yeah, she didn't have a whole hell else to do. You there know? wasn't a lot of depth of character there. No, no, and and she was one of the more developed ones. Yes, you know? yeah. But then again, if you introduce a film where you're introducing all these characters, and there is literally ten of them, it's not surprising that some of them don't really get that much to do. It, to me, it seemed odd. It's like the sort of thing that DC would do. Like, let's do a Justice League film, and we'll just introduce everybody there. It'll be fine. Like. You could have drip-fed us some of this information. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think a lot of people that I know who aren't mad into comics didn't realise that The Eternals was a a Marvel spin-off thing. (laughs) It's right there on the posters, though. Yeah. it's right there in the start of the film. Okay, okay, all right, cool. But these are not mega fans. Yeah, do you yeah. know? Yeah, you know what? They the older I get, the more I realise that other people are able to live their lives very differently to me. You look so disappointed. <laughs> yeah, and and I am. I'm sorry. That's okay. Now it's time for <gasps> finding the faith in the film. I'm sorry, I still miss this. I still miss the sound he makes when I uh, when I do that. You know. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> I felt like making a noise, but I thought I won't. <laughs> so, for the start of this section, and let's be honest, the majority of the section, we're going to be focusing on the character of Fastos. Fastos is the first named titular character to be gay in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
It's not his central identifier. He's a cisgender man or man classic, as I like to call it. <laughs> man classic. Man classic, you know. Oh, wow. Man, man original flavour. <laughs> man ready salted, you know. Man ready salted, man okay. Ready salted. All right. And the decision to include this character will have cost Marvel significant amounts of money. Did mm-hmm. you know this film was banned in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and Qatar and for a good long time banned in China as well? I didn't know about China. I knew about the others. Mm. Yeah. Now, a lot of homophobia is often rooted in, but not exclusive to, religious beliefs. And Christians have done more than their fair share of perpetuating this particular prejudice. Mm -hmm. Now, what we could do is, we could get one person on who thinks homosexuality is a sin, and one who thinks it's acceptable, and listen to them both duke it out. But, frankly, I think that's lazy for a number of reasons. Not only does it suggest that those two views have equal parity, but it increases divisiveness. It turns this debate into a kind of zero-sum game where in order for me to win, you have to lose. And as the old maxim puts it, if one person says it's raining and the other person says it's dry, it is not your job to quote them both. It's your job to look out the window and see which is the truth. So today, let's look at exactly what the Bible says on the issue. Now, for a little bit of context... I think it's important that you understand where I'm coming from on this issue. (laughs) Despite what people might think when they meet me, if there were negative numbers on the Kinsey scale, I think I'd be somewhere on there. Uh, I went to the only gay bar in Bangor and ended up with a girl sat on my lap, which now that I think about it was you. (laughs) I cannot confirm nor deny this. Well, you don't have to because I've got the photo, so we're we're sort on that front. always photographic evidence with you. Now, being part of an acting society, you had to be uh, relaxed about homosexuality because if you said, uh, no, I just like girls, there was a chance that someone would think you were actually in deep denial. So, whilst I have kissed my fair share of straight dudes in Games of Smith the Bottle, I have been an exclusive lady fancier since I was about nine in 1992. And the reason I think that's important uh, is that I think this is one of those times where an ally's voice is possibly more impactful for the the particular audience that I'm aiming for. If I was a gay man advocating for gay rights in church, critics might find it easier to dismiss what I was saying as simply self-interest. Honestly, the, the reason I've come to the conclusions I have is a lot of soul-searching, a lot of listening to smarter people like Steve Chalk and Vicky Beeching, who have actually done the work. And if I have any kind of self-interest at all, it's that I have a son. He is two, and I want him to have a relationship with Jesus so badly. So if he turns out to be gay, I want the people in his church to love and accept him unconditionally because I think that will be the easiest way for him to get a relationship with Jesus. So I've got a very specific audience with this podcast. It's people like who I used to be, like 23-year-old Giles. People who I would hope no one would have called me homophobic. Giles looks at Polly. <laughs> you weren't homophobic. For that. Okay, all right. Uh, but felt like they had to accept what the Bible was saying explicitly in black and white. So to pass Giles, I'd like to say, what up? Love the hair. And is that jacket new? And also check this out because I've got some stuff to tell you. Okay, so now let's get into it. So first of all, let's look at what does Leviticus have to say? I'm bracing. (laughs) Okay, let's do this. Okay. So, the clearest denunciation of homosexuality can be found in Leviticus. Let's start with 18, verse 22. Do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man, as with a woman, it is a detestable sin. 
So there we have it, very clear, written in black and white, and I don't think there's any other way to possibly interpret that. Thanks for joining us, and I'll see you next week for our... <laughs> You're not going to get away with that. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Okay, we're absolutely not going to stop there. This is one of the clearest lines against homosexuality in the Bible, and you'll find most people who are against gay people being part of the church won't use this piece of scripture. And why is that? Well, Leviticus is part of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, um, a holy book for not just Christians, but obviously Jews and Muslims, purportedly thought to be written about, written by Moses, but we can't really prove that. Now, the reason that no one is going to come at you with this particular verse is you can just shoot straight back by saying, okay, well, if you believe Leviticus 18.22, then what about Leviticus 19.19? Don't plant your fields with two kinds of seed. Don't wear clothes woven of two kinds of material. In Leviticus, cursing your mother and father is punishable by death, in which case I am screwed. Um, (laughs) New brides who can't prove their virginity get stoned to death at their father's house. So that's nice. So they don't have to travel, you know. Consider it. Rapists are stoned to death. But... If it happens in the city, the victim also gets stoned to death as well because it's assumed that she could have just cried out and if no one heard her, then they assume that she was consenting. So considering the flaws that we have in these things, it gets a lot harder to really make the homosexuality thing stick. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. With that in mind, let's move on to slightly safer ground with the New Testament, okay? Let's do that. So, like... Let's break it down to basics. When you think about the Old Testament and the New Testament, what are your sort of, what, how do you tend to think of it? So how I tend to think of it, being not a Christian, mm-hmm. um, Old Testament before God sent his only son to earth yep. and some, some stuff changed mm-hmm. um, after Jesus um, came to earth and loved on all the humans and was forgiving and all loving, things like that. Mm-hmm. Old Testament, bad and scary. New Testament, little bit more forgiving that's the general gist yeah pretty much oh, you know right. so, <laughs> like, right. bible means more like library uh six six books written by multiple authors the old testament written over a period of hundreds of years <sighs> lowest number would be like 300 years but realistically probably longer and the new testament as it exists now probably written about a space of about 40 years from beginning to end, like with like earliest possible date and like latest possible date. So a much more concentrated timeline and more concentrated area. Now, what do you know about St. Paul? Nothing. Okay. All right, cool. Um, so St. Paul is like the apostle who's like closest to the Terminator when we first meet him, okay? I'm sorry, what? I, like, seriously. Okay. Like, okay, so before he was Paul, uh, he had another name. He was Saul really clever name change and he was basically uh, a sort of pharisee like he's a second temple jew super observant and paul gets introduced to us in the book of acts actually trying to go go around and exterminating all the christians like saul as he was like the first reference to him is like saul saw them stone stephen and he saw that it was good and it was like oh okay this is a dude so anyway saul has this massive um massive like conversion thing have you ever heard of a road to damascus moment yeah right so saul was on the road to damascus when jesus literally shows up in like a blinding light and says dude pack it in you know strictly speaking 
he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So, mm. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm transliterating here with my the, with the Giles. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, from that point on, he changes his name to Paul and then just becomes like the most ride or die sort of Christian. He is like down for whatever. He is going all over the place. He's writing like nobody's business. He's talking to Jews. He's talking to Gentiles. He's, he's like a big deal. Like if we didn't have Paul, most of the New Testament wouldn't be there. Right? Okay. I know who to blame now. (laughs) That's really clarified things for me. Thank you. Fair, fair. Okay. So, on the surface, Paul is is pretty clear about homosexuality in several of his letters. So, I'm just going to quote from 1 Timothy uh, 1, uh, 1, verses 8 to 10. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. Now, does anything sound a little out of place there? A little bit. Yeah, it's sort of like one of these things is not like the others, isn't it? Is that where there was that language change? So wasn't there a, a new edition of the Bible that was published that infiltrated the word homosexuality where it should have been paedophilia? I don't know about paedophilia, but yeah, you are on the right track. So like 1946, there's like the RSV Bible that puts homosexuality into into it. It's never been there before they might might refer to like sodomy or some of the stuff but they use homosexuality specifically now the thing to get about the ancient world and there's this bible scholar called nt wright uh, or tom wright and put delicately he's a bit of a g a lot of the time not everything but a lot of the time he really knows what he's talking about and he says that like back in like ancient world it, there wouldn't have been itties and isms you know the idea of like defining yourself by those things wouldn't have occurred to people so it's a little bit of an odd wedge to kind of stick that in there do you know what i mean the word actually that's used is and i'm going to screw up the pronunciation of this because it's in coin greek which is ancient greek and shockingly i don't speak that so it's got this this word arsenicoitis malakoi which I hope I'm pronouncing right, but I don't know. And it literally translates as like a combination of man, bed. And we we don't really know what it means because nobody uses the word before Paul uses it. As as best I can, as, as far as I understand, nobody really uses it. And also he uses it in things like lists when it's really hard to work out the context of it, right? So... Does it mean homosexual, a man lying around in a bed? Or does it mean like slovenly Romans, like lying around on their daybeds, sort of like eating eating way too much and throwing up when everything's going to hell? Do you know what I mean? I prefer that as a, <laughs> as a definition. Yeah. Um, you've got to remember also like Rome is like the, is the capital. And we're in a... Around the time that Paul is writing, we're in the reign of Nero. Do you know anything about Nero? Not that he's relevant to this show. (laughs) Fair play, okay. Not a good dude. 
Um, he was all about the sexual perversion. He became emperor when he was like 16 mm-hmm. and died when he's 30. If you imagine what teenage boys are like in general, and now imagine that they have complete and total power and can't be stopped by anybody. Oh my. Yeah. It's not a good combination, is it? You know? No. So We're talking Joffrey type yeah, situation. Yeah, so like Nero equals Joffrey. Go for that. So persecuting Christians. Like Christian did you know Christian was originally an insult? I did not know that. Like a Christian. You know, it was like a derogatory term thrown at us. Um but yeah, there is a lot of sexual perversion going on at this point, you know. They are very the Romans are very free and easy. The word for um ejaculate and urinate are the same thing in like the Roman language at this point. And they don't see slaves as like people. Do you know what I mean? They they're they're disposable. You can have your way with them and just get rid of them because that's that's what it is, right? And if you imagine Paul, when Paul's writing to the Romans, he is literally writing to the the guys who are right in the middle of this, you know. Mm. And he's like, "This stuff is totally out of line. This stuff isn't even close to okay," you know. And it's, I think, when Paul is thinking about about what, what we call homosexuality, I think Paul is much more likely to be thinking about the wildly exploitative things that are going on. Like, uh, have you heard of pederasty? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course you have. I forget. Yeah. So pederasty, how would you define that? I wouldn't like to try. <laughs> okay. Uh, so pederasty was like a, a relationship between a, a man and a much, much younger uh, boy. And it's that sort of stuff. Now, again, coming back to my my man, N.T. Wright, he sort of read in, like, juvenile that there was, like, a a gay scene in Rome where you did have, like, consenting adult men who were being gay and all the rest of it. And for him, that's why he thinks that that Paul's view of what homosexuality is and our view of what homosexuality is would be more or less the same. But also, I don't think St. Paul is really hanging out in the gay scene in Rome at this point. Do you know what I mean? Probably not. I think the thing that's probably taken up more of Paul's time is the worry about, like, all all the really depraved stuff that's going on, you know? And the depraved stuff specifically with children. Exactly, exactly. So when we hear Arsenicoit's Malakoi, you could translate it as homosexual but you could also translate it as pimp or trafficker and Mm -hmm. when i think of it in those terms i find it a lot more easy uh, to agree if i if i sort of if i put that in instead you know the lawbreakers rebels ungodly sinful unholy irreligious for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers for the sexually immoral for those trafficking in children for slave traders and liars and perjurers it fits better do you know what i mean so i feel like there's a bit of translating or transliterating that's not strictly in good faith here do you know what i mean yeah and yeah. I think a lot of us on the other side of things mm-hmm. would agree with that, would would say that makes more sense. Yeah. Because you're right, if you're looking at it from the uh, perspective of Paul, yeah, is he going to be really concerned with that scene 
as you said, at that time, or is he going to be concerned with all this other stuff? Like, Paul's got a lot of places to go, do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's a busy man. Like, all the, every every book of the of the New Testament that's that's the epistles, like the, the story that, that has a name attached to it, like Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, these are all churches. These are all probably churches that he's been to. So he has been claiming those air miles. Do you know what I mean? He gets around. He's got, he gets around and he's he's writing this letter, telling, telling them, this is what you need to take care of. Do you know what I mean? Or this is what you need to, to avoid, you know? So I... How can I put it? I... I think there's probably a good chance that Paul, as he's writing... Again, being a Pharisee, being a Second Temple Jew, sort of being, and having, he'll have Leviticus drummed into him. Do you know what I mean? So, does he possibly have those slightly homophobic things in him? Maybe. But if Paul was here with us today, if he was seeing like gay ministers and gay priests who have these like loving, committed relationships with their with their partners and who love Jesus with a fire passion of a thousand sons would he say the same thing I, I don't think so mm. you know and also the, the people who are take will take the like the traditional view of marriage traditional marriage view on things will quote Paul quite quite heavily on this front you know they'll, they'll, he's the kind of one that they'll they'll come back to a lot but also it's Paul's what Paul says has been the um has been the reason that women have been treated poorly in the church you know let a woman not sort of speak in church and uh, let it in the in the meetings and let her study in in silence and all that sort of stuff you know and people have taken that to be oh well a woman couldn't possibly be a leader when paul is literally referring to uh, like women leaders of churches all over the place when he's saying you know let women go off and just study in silence like you would let a student go off and study in silence, you know, so that you kind of give them space to study is what I think is another way of putting how we said there, you know? But as long as we're quiet, right? Well, like, okay, what did you study? What did I study? You were psychology, right? I was psychology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ever, flipping. If, you, if you threw a stone in Bangor, you'd probably hit a psychology student, you know? <laughs> I mean... The uh, insults. It, it's... It's not, it's just, what I mean is, you needed somewhere quiet to study, didn't you? Right? Let's say yes for argument's for sake. For argument's sake, for argument's sake, sometimes you need everybody else to shut up. So that's what it's saying when it's saying let a woman sort of study in, in silence, is just give them space to, to learn, you know? It's not saying, oh, women should shut up. It's saying, no, everybody else just needs to shut up so they can flip and get on with the study and the stuff. That is a, a fantastic interpretation. Mm-hmm. From, from, from a, a man, from a Christian man, to hear that interpretation is wonderful, but I think it's been misappropriated a lot and interpreted as, you can go and do this as long as you go and do it quietly. Yeah, 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 100%. So here's the thing, right? I got saved in a fairly fundamental church in Bangor, right? And the person who was who was running that church, who was sort of preached the night I went up to say the prayer of salvation, she had a well um she she had a lot of uh, extreme views. I don't think that it came from about from being a woman, but she had a lot of a lot of extreme views which we've I've had to kind of unpack over the years. And I think the crucial thing you'll find is that a lot of people, when they were learning about Jesus, 
some of the homophobia kind of like slipped in there from whoever was telling it. Some of the misogyny kind of came in and it all kind of gets mixed in together. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. You know? So we're not... A lot of the people that have these views aren't bad people. They're just... They're just holding on to a very strict methodology when it comes to how to be a Christian. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I see what you mean, but it's weaponized ignorance. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. It is weaponized ignorance, and it's and we there. Don't get me wrong. There is a spectrum of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So on the one end, there's the Westboro Baptist Church, who are the really sort of extreme end of things, and nobody wants to be associated with those guys and everything. But at the same time, I do wonder whether. For some people, they kind of serve a purpose because you get to say, oh, we're nothing like them. Oh, they're, they're, they're very hateful and extreme and all the rest of it. And we, we love gay people. We just don't think they can do X, Y or Z, you know? Yeah. So with all that in mind, let's look at what does Jesus actually have to say on it? Okay. We've talked about Paul t- and, and Paul is, is a great in a lot of ways, but he's not the son of God. There's only one guy who, who does that. So let's look at exactly what Jesus had to say, because if it's such a big issue, surely Jesus would have had something to say about it, right? Well, no. Jesus literally said nothing about homosexuality, like nothing at all. Now, someone listening somewhere is probably screaming at me this line from Jesus, where he says in Matthew 19, verse 5, and Mark 10, verse 7, he, where he says, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united uh, to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. So that's fairly conclusive, right? It's a conclusion. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Jesus is quoting Genesis there. And as with so many things, this verse needs to be understood within the context of the rest of the passage. So if we just wind it back a bit and start at Mark 19, verse 3, we see it goes like this. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. (laughs) So what we have there is Jesus is actually talking about divorce. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's oh, not isn't even... that a sin as well? It's a... It, it, we will have a, an episode on divorce okay. some other time. <laughs> I will work up to that when I've processed my own parents' divorce, I'm imagining. But it's really difficult to extrapolate an opinion about homosexuality or same-sex marriage from this because this is not what Jesus is talking about. Looked at in isolation, you could look at this passage and just as easily say that it is right and proper for a person to be married and that celibacy is against God's plan. And, well, nobody in their right mind would do that because people would be up in arms about it, including my man Pope Frank. Your man. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, like, that's his street name, obviously, Pope Frank, yeah. So Jesus has a ministry for about three years, which, let's be honest, is an incredibly short amount of time especially if you're an immortal being. Do you know what I mean? You know, if you've existed for all of time and maybe longer, three years is like... It's a second. Exactly. It's gone in, gone in a pinch, you know. And like, unlike most of us, Jesus knew we didn't have a lot of time on this earth. And as a result, he tended to focus on things that were more important, to, that were most important to gaining salvation. And he never mentioned homosexuality once. 
And there are people literally following him around, writing down what he has to say. Hi guys, it's Editing Giles here. As you probably worked out, a lot went into this episode. So much so that I thought, in order for it to flow better, I needed to cut some of it out. So we recorded an entire section about Jesus healing the centurion's servant that was relevant to this topic, but honestly... It left me with more questions than answers, and I wanted to keep the actual episode as straightforward as possible. So, if you want to sign up to our Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash God and Film Podcast, you can find that special section available on the Bishop Waller Bridge tier, along with bonus episodes like God in Music, God in Gaming, extended interviews, early episodes, all that sort of stuff. So why not check it out? And now... Back to the show. So I, when I sort of deal with this issue, I tend to think of, like I said, the people who've already done the work for me. And how can I put it? For a Christian, it's not enough to just be like, well, gay people have equal rights, so gay people should have equal rights in the church. That's totally fair. That makes total sense. Because we're taught consistently that we should be in this world but not of this world like churches that that sort of give in to the culture around them can kind of get a bit sort of poisoned with it Mm. okay so uh if i give you an example of people like and i'm not looking to sort of take shots at, at anybody but um have you heard of tammy faye baker no, I haven't. Right, okay. There's this awesome, awesome film. We're going to cover it at some point. Uh, the Eyes of Tammy Faye Baker, where it's got Jessica Chastain in it. And that's all about, like, televangelists and the rise of televangelists, and in particular, the belief in, like, the prosperity gospel. Okay. okay. You ever heard of that? No. So, prosperity gospel is basically the belief that you can be a Christian and be rich, that those two things aren't contradictory, you know? Okay. That is a brilliant example of culture infecting church. Do you see what I mean? I'm going to nod. <laughs> no, but, but I mean like... We have to bear in mind that I, I'm the token atheist. I'm air quoting sure. this here and this. And I'm yeah. like, I'm in territory that I am, have no knowledge of. Sure, sure, sure. Fair play. But you can, broadly speaking, agree with me that televangelism and all the stuff that comes with that particular brand of Christianity, probably not great. Probably not. Probably not great. So we're very wary about just culture affecting the church and our and our beliefs, right? Um, and the person who changed my mind was Vicky Beeching. She was a gospel singer. She was massive in the states. She was she was huge. She was like selling out arenas and all this sort of stuff, and. She starts to suffer from like a, an alopecia. She starts to stuff, suffer from the stuff. And it's when she goes to a doctor about it, she finds out that it's actually stress related. And it's coming from the fact that she's, in her words, that she's gay. And she's been working so hard to suppress this because she believes that this isn't right, that this isn't part of her, and, and or this shouldn't be part of her, and that this is affecting her relationship with God to the point where it literally makes her physically ill, right? Mm. So Vicky comes out as 
uh, as, as a gay woman, like in the early 2010s, I want to say around 2014, possibly, and she loses everything, you know, so she loses all her record deals and all the, all the places that she would normally book, she just gets, it dries up, you know, and she becomes a, an LGBT activist as a result, and it was reading in her book that sort of helped me change my mind on this because I felt like, how can I put it, I couldn't square the idea that if God is love, then how does he make people who are like this and then hate them as for being like that? Do you know what I mean? It's a good question. <laughs> it's a really good question because, you know, we can we can talk about nature, nurture and all the rest of it. So if God created the earth and everything in it, including man and woman, and you're created in his image, then he created all men and women, gay men and women, black men and women, brown men and women, all people. Men and women from Stockport, you know. <laughs> and the Welsh. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he definitely created the <laughs> he Welsh. He definitely created the Welsh. It's you know, self-evident, you know. So, like, as you were saying, how, if if that's what you believe, if you believe that you are God's creation, why would he create you to suffer? Why would he create you to be hated and loathed and despised and shunned? Yeah. And then you'd have to go down some perspective of, um, well, you know, suffering is a way, is a path to God and stuff. And this is where I come really unstuck with it all because I'm like, that just, that doesn't seem like love to me. Yeah. And I'm told that Christianity yeah. is about love. Well, this is this is the thing, right? Is um, uh, we had Nick Page on here recently. Uh, he's another he's another sort of uh, podcaster. He's also an author of it. And there's a phrase he used that I really liked, and he said, uh, "God is love. Everything else is details." Nice. You know? <laughs> nice. And if you really believe that, if you really believe that God and love are synonymous, then this stops making sense uh, at all and and like i say the people who a lot of the people who believe this stuff aren't homophobic by what by any phrase that you would normally judge it you know in their not in their secular life not as they are as people they just don't believe this particular thing you with me mm. there's one quote from the vicky beeching book i'm gonna bear me just one second i'm I, I did a lot of of uh, writing for this um for this episode, and I ran out of time on this one. <laughs> yeah, like I wrote like nearly three thousand words on this episode, and still ran out of time. Still have more stuff to say. You know? <laughs> wow! So if you didn't know who Paul was, you're probably not going to know who Peter is. I know yeah. the names, but I wouldn't be able to say confidently what they did or what their relevance sure. is. Sure. Okay. So Peter is... He's at so, the gates, isn't he? <laughs> we, we will get to the gates okay. all the time. But yeah, we're on the right track. So Peter, right, he... Um, somebody said to me when I was a kid, you remind me most of Peter. And that was a bit of a backhanded compliment because throughout a lot of the Gospels, Peter is a dumbass. You know, <laughs> he is like... He like throws himself in 100% all the time, every time. He'll be like, no, Lord, don't wash my feet. You're, I'm too unclean for you to wash my feet. And then Jesus is like, dude, I have to wash your feet. And he's like, hey, wash me from head to toe. I'm like, dude, 
chill out. So he's the he's the guy that denies Jesus three times. Yes. You know? So he is flaky as, right? And this is he goes from being that to an absolute ride or die. I'm gonna do anything for Jesus. He gets called the first pope and he gets literally crucified upside down. In terms of his character arc, he is like a million miles away from where he starts to where he ends. Do you know what I mean? Is there some line of thought outside of Christianity that Peter was also the first vampire? <laughs> you didn't see that coming, did you? I didn't see that coming. <coughs> um, that's uh, another episode. That's another episode outside of Buffy fanfic. I don't know anything about <laughs> No, the crucifixion upside down re- reminds me of something, and I and I think there is some, there is there's something, and I'll go away. And yeah, yeah. It. So probably what that is the idea of like uh, the cross being upside down, being like a a subversion of of Jesus Jesus's symbol, right? But really, all it was was like Peter wanted to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he deserved to be crucified in the same way as his lord he didn't feel like he deserved that honor so okay here's the thing crucifixions believe it or not were really quite varied you know okay they, they were it was the cruelest most perverse form of, of where you could torture somebody to death and romans were really encouraged to be quite in- creative about how they crucified people so funny that yeah yeah again not good dudes but yeah he sorry he chooses to be crucified upside down i we completely went up on the the side so i'm going to read you this bit from acts 10 verse 9 um peter's gone off they're all they're all trying to share the gospel all over the place and it says about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city peter went up on the roof to pray he became hungry and wanted something to eat and while the meal was being prepared he fell into a trance He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the man sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out and asked if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to them, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be guests. So that is really long-winded and you're still looking at me going, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've got to rearrange my facial expression to curious. (laughs) Okay, all right. When it comes to dietary stuff, as a Jewish person at this time, what can you not do? What can you not eat, do you mean? Yeah, yeah, what can you not eat? So nothing with hooves. There's something about hooves, yeah, cloven some, feet. So, so there's, there are certain animals that are clean. There are certain animals that are unclean. There are certain... There's a lot of that in Leviticus, isn't there? Yeah, as well? 100%. Well, again, this is, the, this is the thing. It's Leviticus might be like 
like thousands of years back for us but it's not as far from them and it's still it's still big part of the culture so it's whether something's kosher or not kosher right oh that's right yeah kosher so there's some things you can eat and there's some things you can't eat and peter up to this point has seen jesus going around israel and and judah and all the sort of area and he's talking to predominantly jewish people so peter's gotten it into his head that jesus is really just here for the jewish people and then like another flipping centurion <laughs> turns up at his house and says hey i'd like you or people from a centurion say turn up at, at the house that peter's staying and say could you come tell me about this jesus guy and for that that's a moment of conflict for peter because he would have been like but you're a gentile jesus isn't for you you with me like the romans were the worst of the worst why on earth was god coming for for them as well and this vision is God telling Peter, no, Jesus is for everybody, okay? Like, everybody of any kind, under any circumstances, if I say they're clean, they're clean. If I say they're okay, they're okay. That's what this whole vision means. If I say you can eat the animals, you can eat the animals. Exactly. If I say that you can eat the animals, you can eat the animals. If I say that Jesus is for everybody, that Jesus is for everybody. So that's where it comes to. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so there's nothing in the gospel that says that Jesus is for white boys from North Wales. The first white man that turns up in the gospels is flipping Pontius Pilate. So, so far, representation-wise, we're not doing really well. Do you know what I'm saying? I know that much. So they have, an, they have plenty of reason to hate us, and yet God tells them, no, it's it's for the war it's for the uh, for the gentiles as well so if we can't find something that jesus said or if we can't find something that god said we find something that god did and he did this and this is my rationale for why i think that god loves gay people and he wants gay people to be part of his church exactly as they are and they don't have to change that part themselves and that's how i got to that point basically and i'm glad that you feel that way well like you know i was was thinking also flipping coming back to the film that we've been talking that we started with at least were we talking about we were talking about a film somewhere at one point i can't remember you know and do you remember in the film where they kind of have the split where icarus has been revealed to be a double agent effectively yeah and there is like a load of different ways that they all kind of split at that point and it's a bit like a crisis of faith at that point so like Cersei wants to do the best to save humankind Fastos doesn't want to do anything that will hurt his family Kingo decides he can't be involved in this conflict and Sprite basically just decides she's going wherever Icarus is going because she loves him and you can just see how this, this fallout of this one particular thing creates a schism between them and what I think is really interesting is that at the moment, we're seeing something sort of similar happening in the Church of England right now. Have you been following the news? Probably not where the church is concerned. Not in this one. Okay, yeah, fair play. So we're seeing a lot of fallout about homosexuality in the church at the moment because the General Synod came to the conclusion... A synod is like a sort of collection of bishops. They all kind of get together and like hash out stuff. And they came to the conclusion that whilst they wouldn't necessarily perform same-sex marriages, they would uh, bless uh, same-sex marriages in a in a church service... And some people are like, 
that's great, but it's not going far enough. And then other people are like, no, this is terrible. And you're breaking away from, from sort of orthodox views and all this sort of stuff. And there's actually been talk about the Church of England like splitting over over this, you know. And the thing I can't get my head around is if you believe all this stuff about, yes, God can love gay people, but... And God can love you, but you have to change this, or you can't do that. And what does that actually look like? Do you know what I mean? How is that actually a plan? How do you make people feel loved and included when you're saying to them, oh no, you can't do this. That's not for you, you know? And I was celibate for a lot of years. And you've seen you've seen single Giles, and you've seen happily married Giles, and my relationship with God was the same the entire time. But I think it's fairly obvious that there's one area where I'm much happier than the other. Do you know what I mean? And I don't quite know how anybody in their right mind could tell somebody, you can't have a romantic relationship for your entire life. For a set period, for before you get married. I could I could see that. I could Anything that has like a, a an end point, I can see that. But the idea that you are condemned to be alone forever that's just so incredibly cruel do you know what i mean well, it's not loving is it's it? it's not loving it's not it's it's and and do you know what like there are there are some people who can do that there are some people who can who decide they they are do you know what the phrase is side b christian apparently it's somebody who is a who is a, an lgbt qia plus person but who believes that they should be celibate I know their faith is legit, they're the real thing, the rest of it, but it's one thing to choose celibacy for yourself, it's another thing to have it foisted upon you. Absolutely. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's not loving. It's not... It's... I, 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 I could be wrong, but I really don't think it's what God wants, you know? Um... And... Do you know the funny thing about it is that learning about this stuff has actually really strengthened my faith, you know, because it eliminated the one thing that was a major contradiction, the one bit of like cognitive dissonance that I couldn't get my head around. It's taken that away and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. And I think the way that I'm ascribing to is... The way that makes sense to me and part of the reason I brought you on for this Paul is you knew what I was like when I was 22 and I wish I'd been able to tell you this sort of stuff then do you know what I mean I wish I'd had this kind of knowledge back then because I would have been able to convey this um, more coherently does that make sense it does. Can I offer you something back? Go for it. You weren't ready for it then. <sighs> Not in any kind of like um, a sort of convoluted way. Just the fact that something massive has changed for you, for your for for your life, for your uh, path. Yeah. You have a son. You're a father now. Yeah. You're responsible for this little human being. Yeah. Who who could who could be gay? Yeah. Yeah. So now is the time where you needed to really level this out. 
yeah. now is the time when you really needed to understand it and and find your answers you yeah. know back then we were just well we weren't hedonistic but it, we were a bit hedonistic <laughs> it wasn't the we were time. a little bit it wasn't you know? the time for this kind of exploration yeah. because those things didn't matter as much then as they do now for you yeah they mattered for me because i was going through you know questioning sexuality where do i fit who are my people that kind of thing yeah but, you know we each will draw our own conclusions in our own time some people never will but the fact that you you went out there to seek these answers now i think is significant yeah well it, i hope so you know and and like i say if you want to learn more about this stuff you can read uh vicky beeching's book which I, I actually bought you as a present a while back you did you know? so you should really check that out or at least read the listen to the audiobook because that was wicked too so this was incredibly heavy and uh full on but this has been on my heart for such a long time and and i really wanted to get it off my chest somewhere so thank you for listening to me and thank you for um thank you for making space for me to to say this stuff well thank you for doing the work <laughs> okay all right um okay uh ladies and gentlemen if if you have if you are still here at this point i mean well done well done uh next episode we will be looking at uh thor ragnarok love and thunder and i hope to see you then Bye. Guardian Film is hosted and created by Giles Goff. That's me. Mixing and editing by Giles. Our logo was designed by Julie Walsh. And our theme tune was composed by Rick Lee. Heresy editing by Nick Matthews. Sensitivity listening by Louisa Jane Smith. Guardian Film is a Dask production. Please rate and review. Unless it's a one star, in which case. Honestly, guys, I figured that if I was ever going to get negative feedback for an episode, it would be this one. So I've decided that if you do have some criticism of the conclusions I've come to here, then please just send them to me via direct message. I'm not going to respond to stuff posted on social media because I don't think it's always the most conducive format for positive discourse. God bless you guys.